Well, girl, it's a Saturday afternoon and I'm drinking a Red Bull at three o'clock. Let's do, I don't know what's going to happen. It only means one thing. What? We're recording those extra datelines. Yeah. Julian Pensavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. Um, you guys, if you want more Julian and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes, girl. Yeah, and not just like the Dateline. The Dateline we're giving you for free. Yeah. So you can listen to the Datelines and every other episode ad-free yes. on the Pates. And also, like, you know, The Vow, The Night Stalker, Heaven's Gate. Lacey Peterson. That's the one where if you want to know why some people think that Scott Peterson might be innocent, you can check that one out. The Menendez Murders, where I developed a true crush on Eric Yep. <laughs> Lorena. Lorena. The Staircase Serial Season one. The Jinx the making jinx. a murderer. Oh. Come on. By the time they hear this, we'll be into Lula Rich. That's right. So we just wrapped up Heist, yes. I guess, yeah. in the future and the past <laughs> at the same time. Time is a construct. And yeah, Lula Rich, we're doing this. Oh my God. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? So this episode of Dateline is called The Charleston Affair. Yes. But when you watch it on NBC.com, it's called Keith's Choice, The Charleston <laughs> Affair. And he introduces it because he hates everyone except for, like, two people in this. Yes. And this is, like, classic, classic. This is, like, infamous Dateline. Speaking of Keith introducing this, I said Keith is telling us about a thoroughfare in Charleston called America Street. Yeah. And it is peak Keith. <laughs> First of all, he's leaning up against something. There are whole social media accounts about Keith leaning on things. Oh, is that right? He's leaning on a cement pole in some warehouse. I don't know why. <laughs> or where, or whatever. There is a thoroughfare in Charleston, South Carolina, that incredible old town, which perfectly illustrates the way America is these days. At one end is wealth and privilege, at the other, very, very much the opposite. And the name of this thoroughfare is America Street. Here is a story about a banker and his wife, members of high society, about a drug addict at the dregs of his own life about a lovely young thing named Wendy. And a theme, which is that it doesn't matter what end of America Street you live on. It's all still quite possible. Let me tell you, the way Keith talks about privileged rich white people in I this know, is phenomenal. I know, I know. He's talking about the moneyed elite. Not far away, the moneyed elite of this storied city prepared to tuck securely into their beds. Tucking themselves safely into beds. So unaware. <laughs> Keith hates everyone. Almost, almost everyone in this. There's something about Charleston that Keith really loves. Yes. And he says, So lovely, even in the dark. Even in the dark. Right. Keith. I love that Keith hates rich people, but he is for sure one of them. Absolutely, but he's not one of these trash Can we people. take a quick second and Google his net worth? Okay. $10 million. Keith Morrison's net worth according to CelebrityNetWorth.com. Which is, I mean, can go either way, honestly. You know what? A cool $10 million at his age, you did it, Keith. You did it. I mean, yeah. Good for you, Keith. So we meet Officer Daniel Wilson, and he's like, look, lots of drugs in the area, lots of crack cocaine, lots of heroin. And the he thing about this America Street is that like, there's like the rich side and then like the not rich side. Right. And so when the officer's like, lots of crack cocaine, yeah. Keith's basically like, oh, the rich white people must hate this. And the officer's like, no, totally. Girl. So Officer Wilson is like, that's when he saw it, the car with Kentucky plates, dead still in the middle of an intersection. I observed the car's headlights turn off and begin to leave the area. He seemed to 
start kind of an evasive pattern on his part. Like the driver of the car turns the headlights off and tries to like quietly move on. Quote, in a somewhat evasive pattern. Doesn't that mean he's just trying to get the hell away from the scene as fast as possible? Yeah, and then we meet the driver of the car. I'm like, oh shit, the driver's here. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a person who suffers from addiction and he looked, he's very honest. Yes, he yes. does. He cannot tell a lie. His name is Aaron. He's so cute. And he says, look. I had run out of the heroin that I brought with me. So I was faced with trying to find heroin 500 miles away from where I live in a town I've never been to. 500 miles from home. You know what he does? He Googs it. He Googles where to find heroin near me or whatever. And Google's like, hey, girl, you're you're on it. It's America Street. You did it. Google responded where to find heroin near me. What if I Google that? I'm going to Google Maps. Okay, great. What if I just said, I'm just going to say drugs. Drugs near me. Pharmacies. Useless. Dwayne Reed, value drugs. Not what I'm looking for, Google. But we also learned that, like, in the car with this guy, Aaron, is his wife, Bethany, and they've got their dog, Rusty, in the back seat. And you think they're on, a, like, a road trip. That's not what's happening. It's not here. what's happening. And so Aaron gets pulled over, and, like, Keith says... He lied to the officer. Lied like a sidewalk. I had to go back, and I was like, did he say lied? Lied like a, like a sidewalk. sidewalk. Keith! The thing is, Aaron lies once, and then after that, he tells the truth, so help him. I mean... <laughs> In spite of himself, he tells the truth. I literally have the truth serum of it all. I mean, because at first he's like, I'm not looking for heroin. I'm looking for booze. That's the only lie he tells. Totally. Because then he's like, I also, just full disclosure, I don't have a license. Right. Uh, Kentucky suspended it. Also, I have a record. Uh, I did time for like a bunch of forgeries. And that the reason I did those forgeries was to support my heroin habit. So, yeah. But other than that. Other than that, nothing. But that is one other lie. Because when the officer searches the car, he finds a fucking loaded gun. Yeah. It's all bad. It's all Aaron. bad. And so, like, that's when he decides he's, like, arresting Aaron. So when he's in the back of the officer's car, Aaron's like, I've got one more thing to tell you. I'm also a murderer. Well, I'm not a murderer yet, but I'm here to commit a murder. And the fucking cop doesn't believe him. When he asked me what it was in reference to, I told him a murder. And uh, he didn't believe me. He went and asked my wife. And she immediately broke down into tears, started crying, and said, I'm not supposed to talk about that. He's like, I don't know if this is interesting to you at all. It hasn't happened yet, but it's like a murder for hire, and I'm super involved. So I don't know if you care at all. And the cop's like, not really. Actually, like, eyes on the road. I got to keep my eyes on the road. I don't care. But then Bethany, his wife, just starts crying. I know. Like, she can't handle the pressure. And then the cop's like, oh, wait. Wait, the dog is crying. I know. Poor Rusty. Rusty has to go in a little crate later. He's not happy. It's just like Aaron pours his soul out to this fucking police officer. I know. That poor police officer was probably at the end of his shift. Yeah. He just wanted to go home and get some shut eye. If the car was parked a little more closer to the curb, we wouldn't even be here. And also, I just, I really do want to say, Keith, I have some notes. And Dateline in general, the way Keith and Dateline talk about Aaron calling him a quivering heroin addict. I know. Not okay. Do better. I know. And they do that a lot. So if if some of that makes its way into the episode, just know that we don't subscribe to that. And that's wrong to say. Don't say that. Yeah. So they bring Aaron into an interrogation room and we see the video. And he said, Aaron is here on a murder for hire. He really doesn't want to do it. No, no. He's like, the intended victim is like... A member of Charleston's elite. He said, I think the name is L-A-T-H-A-M, like Latham. And so, but we get this quote from Keith where I'm just like, what in the what? So he's like... A few miles from this, from Aaron's police confessional, the sweetly soft-spoken wealth of Charleston slept, secure in the knowledge that their fortunes were tended, many of them, by the sure and steady touch of the city's highest-paid banker, Chris Latham, 
Bank of America Rainmaker. Secure that their fortunes were tended by the slow and steady touch of the city's highest paid banker. Chris Latham right. is, works for Bank of America, and all these rich white people are sleeping soundly because Chris is watching their money. But the thing is, this guy, Chris Latham, is the highest paid banker in Charleston. I don't know how everyone knows that, but everyone spouts out that statistic. Well, Chris is here, yes. and he's like, Keith, you know what? God, I love my job. The best job in the world. You work with people of wealth, and people of wealth have so many challenges today more so than ever before. Let me tell you how hard it is to be filthy rich, okay? Rich people have more problems than ever, Keith Morrison. Can you believe he's Chris, shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> this guy. Do you hear yourself? I know. We he need merchants says, Chris, shut your fucking mouth. He says mouth. rich people have never had it so hard I, I before, know. like in the history of, of rich know. people. Says the guy in South Carolina. I, I know. mean, you know what kind of rich people you're talking about down there? I know. Come on now. So we also meet Chris's wife, Nancy Latham, Nancy. and she... <laughs> Socialite Nancy, and she's loving every second of it. On the it. spectrum of Nancy's, where does she fall? Remember Kerrigan Super being high the up. best? The, being Super the best. high up. Very close to Kerrigan. And I'm, I don't care what Chris has to say. Totally. Chris <laughs> votes her low, but no, I love Nancy. Well, when we learn about them, they're like this like sparkling society couple. She's a real estate agent. She's also a trusted member of the South Carolina Lottery Commission. <laughs> Whatever the hell that means. <laughs> Whatever she she's like doing. She oversees the lottery. Great. Whatever she's doing, it's working. They live in this gated, yeah. fancy pants community. But Nancy tells us how she and Chris met. We actually met on a blind date. It was a lunch date. And when he got out of his car to pick me up, I looked at one of my girlfriends and I said, that is the man I'm going to marry. I was in a convertible and uh, got out and met her. And yeah, we went to... Um, Applebee's. Basically, what happened is that they decided to get married over the app sampler at Applebee's. Totally, yeah. A lot. I mean, like, I will that say app those sampler, margaritas are big. Big margaritas at Applebee's. I mean, I hope they were drinking at least. <laughs> I, I love a good app sampler. <laughs> totally. I love Applebee's. Like, yeah. I'm not begrudging any of it, except I hate Chris. So far. So far, we hate Chris. Yeah. So they decide literally over lunch on their first date that they're going to like live together and get married. And within the year, they do. Within a year. I know, within a year. Tell me there were apps at the wedding. <laughs> I mozzarella want the, sticks. I want the spin dip, the Don't. mozzarella sticks, the, a fountain Coke, like Don't. a fountain soda, and those red cups, those gigantic oh, red cups. The Applebee's fries with that seasoning you could only get at Applebee's? I'm sure you can. Go, look, look, Applebee's seasoning dupe, and you'll be able to make it at home. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. More life hacks from Jillian, you guys. <laughs> it's just Googling Aaron knows. You just Google whatever you need. It comes back. So they have two kids, Emily in 94, Madison in 96. We meet Kathy Harrell, and she and her husband were best friends with the Lathams. Yeah, they were, you know. Fancy they... rich people living in North right. Carolina. So Nancy's like, Keith, let me tell you about these parties. Because she explains that basically, like, because Chris was the most famous and most well-known and, and richest Bank Banker. of America guy. Like, it's fucking Bank of America. Everyone settle down. I know, it's it's not like, I don't know, some fancy old timey. It's not, he's not a fucking Rockefeller. Exactly. You know, or exactly. Vanderbilt or right. whatever. Totally. He's just, he's like Chris from Bank of America. He has one of those desks. Totally. When you walk in and like the bank teller's over there and there's a guy at a desk open, like in the lobby or that's Chris. Like, but I guess in Charleston, that's big doings. So 
Nancy's <laughs> loving every second of yeah. it because Nancy was like a socialite. So she's like the bank, every time they contributed to an organization or sponsored an event, we would typically go to that event, usually as a host and hostess. And we would just entertain and make everybody feel comfortable. It was almost like a PR job for Bank of America. It sounds like they're fundraising. I know. Or like, what are they doing for Bank <laughs> of America? Again. <laughs> He's not a Rockefeller. Imagine like the Bank of America gala in Charleston, South Carolina. At the strip mall next to the Applebee's again. Oh, my God. I love a good appetizer. But eventually we learn that, like, things are not perfect at home. Chris is traveling a lot for work. And Keith says, Life and marriage are complicated, as everybody knows. A quiet strain entered the relationship. Chris is insufferable. So, yes. and Nancy's like fun, and yes. Chris is a wet blanket. So, Nancy, on I'm glad t- that you like Nancy. I wasn't sure how we felt about her. I'm sure she's like a lot. Right. <laughs> but I well, like her. Okay. <laughs> she's done nothing wrong. Uh, yes. As far, I mean, according to this episode as of As far Daylight. as we can tell so far. And on top of all this emotional stress because she hates her husband, yeah. now she's going through chemo, right? Yes. Because and she, she tells us that chemo is cumulative. My mom went through chemo. I don't think I knew that about chemo. Yeah. That, like, the, it gets worse and worse and harder and harder the more you do it. Right. So Nancy has breast cancer and she's explaining. My very last chemo treatment, chemo is cumulative. I can remember he came home from work one day and was like, what's for dinner? And I said, I don't think I can get out of bed. He said, you need to get out of bed because we've got to have dinner. Chris, like a fucking caveman, comes home demanding a piping hot dinner be ready on the table in 10 minutes. And Nancy's like, Chris, I'm exhausted. I feel really sick. I don't think dinner's going to happen tonight. Like, can you fend for yourself? Could you just order fucking pizza? And also, I'm feeling like, ask me how I'm doing. Right. He didn't drive her home from chemo? I know, I know, I know. Chris, Chris, your job is not that fancy. No. You work at a desk at Bank of America. (laughs) And listeners, if you or someone you know or love works at a desk at Bank of America, great, but don't be like Chris. Right. (laughs) I say it every time. It's If you right. do, like, yes. remember the tugboat captain? If yes. you're a tugboat captain, totally. more power to you. Don't be the garbage yes. tugboat captain yeah. from that episode. It's very simple. That was the Rebecca's a Hal episode. It was. That was the debut of the name William Elizabeth. William Elizabeth Jensen. Know. William, you know what? William yeah, Elizabeth, William, please. you know what we're talking about, girl. Please. So then, after all of this, Chris develops a deviated septum. Okay. I know, but he does. He decides he's going to sleep in, an, in another room, and Nancy sort of pretends to be sad about it, but is not. And he knew he was going to be snoring, and a lot of pain, so he was going to start sleeping in the guest room. And I thought, well, weird, but okay. You know, I appreciate his letting me get a good night's sleep. That's fine. I have this deviated septum out of nowhere, right. and I'm going to be My snor- septum deviated all of a sudden. Nancy, it happens, you dummy. <laughs> Obviously. We, right. we smarties at Bank of America know all about it. Um, but he's like, I'm going to be snoring, so tries to make it like he cares about her. Yes. Meanwhile, he didn't ask her how her fucking chemo was. Yeah. But anyway, so Chris and his deviated septum are now sleeping in the guest room. I don't understand why there aren't more like episodes about people who kill their spouses just for snoring. In America, that should be allowed. <laughs> On America Street, yeah. here in Charleston, South Carolina. Also, Keith makes a cancer pun. Keith? He does? He goes, It was more than a deviated septum. It was secrets roiling somewhere out of sight and suspicions which metastasized into searing jealousy. Secrets that metastasized into searing jealousy. Uncool, Keith. I I mean, Nancy beat cancer. I know, I know. Fuck cancer, but like, I don't like the way you talk about Aaron and I don't like the cancer pun. Frankly, leave the sidewalks out of it too, Keith. God, lied lied like a a sidewalk. What did that sidewalk ever do to you? (laughs) 
<laughs> so then, out of the blue, clear blue sky, after 23 years, yeah. Chris and Nancy are on vacation. In the middle of the vacation, Chris is like, I want a divorce. <laughs> Nancy goes, <laughs> you'll get over it, girl. And she, because he was, she was like, he was always mad at me for something. He was yeah. a pain in the ass. He's yeah. always complaining. Whatever today's issue is, he'll get over it. Right. But now, Chris is saying, Chris now is like, I found out about Nancy's secret life that she had for six years. Found out, he said, by discovering, quite by accident, a stash of emails that proved infidelity. Chris discovered by accident right. a stash of emails. Chris, you were snooping. To which I say, fuck that. If you discover your spouse is cheating on you by snooping in their emails, then you've done nothing wrong. But say you were snooping. Yes. If she really did something wrong right. and you feel right. like you don't was accidentally che- log into her email. You didn't like trip and fall onto the computer and right. you accidentally logged yourself. If you were in. snooping and you found something horrible, yeah. then say that's how you found it because yeah. Nancy's more wrong for cheating than exactly. you are for snooping if you think she's cheating. But I don't believe Chris at all. I don't don't not believe him in this instance. I think that we're not getting everything. For- Nancy never denies this. She's like, no, it was six years of like steamy hot emails, but it was just a professional work colleague. Like, Nancy. Yeah, she's like, I was just charming them, Keith. You get right. it. So, but Chris, Chris tells this story where I'm like, fuck you, Chris, because right, Chris yeah. tells Keith. I said, why would you do this? And she says, I'm a narcissist. I need the attention. And I asked her, I said, how can you do this to me? How can you do this to our daughters? I said, there's no way I can go forward in this marriage. I'm a narcissist and I need attention. To which I say, spoken like a true narcissist. Am I right, Chris? Because I'm talking about you. But then, this is like the moment of all moments you got. This is wild. It happens really quickly. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. So we're going to break it down. Julian said, oh, my favorite Keith moment of all time is in this episode. It's one of my favorite interactions I've ever seen. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, this is it. So we hear this bullshit story. Yeah. Like, Chris, no, she didn't say, I'm a narcissist and I want attention. Right, yeah, yeah. Chris, that's you. Right. So cut to Keith and Nancy, and he's like, Nance. Were you having an affair? No, I was not. Are you offering? Oh, I'm sorry. It, it, because this became a, a very serious allegation. Is there truth to any of this? Like, were you having an affair? And Nancy, chipper as all get out, yeah. tries to be cute. And she goes, no, I wasn't. Are you offering? <laughs> it catches Keith the fuck and off And Keith's guard. like, Nance, I'm being serious. <laughs> and Nancy's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like... <laughs> Trying to be cute. Yeah. And like Nancy dodges the question. Yes. She has this little interaction where Keith's like not falling for it, Nance. Yes. I'm not donating <laughs> to the Bank of America. Right. I'm not buying your Lula Rich leggings. Right. And I don't, I'm being serious. Don't, yeah. are you offering? It happens in like a blink of an eye. It is wild. But I feel like he almost fell off his chair. Like he was, he goes did like, he does, sometimes his eyes go super wide and he moves yes. back and he's like, oh, he like adjusts in his chair. I know. No, are you offering? Are you offering? No, he's not offering. No, Nancy. He's asking you a question. And Nancy, while we're here, was it true? So, and then also Nancy's like, well, and fuck that. Now I was looking for evidence of him being with another woman. And so she looks in his phone, obviously, now that he's sleeping in the guest room all night. He's up all night texting some lady. Yeah, Chris and his deviated septum were up all night texting someone. But then Nancy goes to a fucking million. She hires a private investigator to follow him around the world on his business trips. Around the world. (laughs) Give me a break. He went to Atlanta. Come on, Chris. But we see video of some like blonde bombshell coming into and out of his like hotel room all night long. Right. And so Nancy says, And I said, do not let her destroy our marriage. And he said to me, don't you ever mention her to me again. It will kill the kids if you start down that road. Don't you ever mention her to me again. It'll kill the kids if you start going on that road. And I'm like, Chris, I know, I know who the narcissist is here, and it ain't Nancy. <laughs> 
So Chris ends the relationship with that woman, he says. Right. But the divorce between him and Nancy still happens. Oh, and it's an all-out war. But it starts out amicably. Like, they try to play nice, and then all of a sudden, it's like what everybody is talking about in Charleston. So Nancy wants alimony. She wants (laughs) to be kept in the life to which she's become accustomed. And she wants $7,500 a month, to which she says the privilege dripping out of her mouth, gold-leafed. I said... $7,500 a month, I'll walk away. In the scheme of things, that is nothing. And he wouldn't do it. In the grand scheme of things, that's nothing, Keith. $7,500 a month. $7,500 a month and I'll walk away. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times, the reason alimony exists is because a lot of times women stay at home and raise the kids and miss out on career opportunities. And then the divorce happens because the husband finds some, like, young, hot thing during their midlife crisis. And then the woman, like, can't enter the workforce in a way that, like, she could have, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Alimony is a really, it's a thing that should exist. And 100%. Yeah. And they have two kids. They're in high school. Totally. They're going to college. Like, yeah. $7,500 a month is needed. Yes. But the way she's like, Keith, it was nothing pocket change i'm like nancy nancy just say we need it for our daughters we need it for our girls totally. don't you want to give them this amazing but life the, she can't say that because she wants this money for forever right. she doesn't just want it while she's raising the kids she wants right. it for forever like in perpetuity yeah so chris decides to go back to the old-timey law books from yes. charleston <laughs> they must be so racist it's like in parks and rec where donna realizes she can't walk on the sidewalk because she's black <laughs> It's like that. Like, I'm totally. assuming it, there's yeah. like it's like dusty yes. and they're like, oh, see here. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris finds this like law that I think is pretty tame. I yes. think it's sort of like the norm everywhere where he just says if he can prove that Nancy had an affair, he doesn't have to pay alimony. Right. Is it that sort of standard? I have no idea. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was expecting it to be like, she's a woman. Right. Let's behead her right. for the sake of it. She's worthless. You got bored with her? She's worthless. What, she, what, she didn't make you dinner that time? She got home right. from chemo? It's killer. <laughs> Killer in the town square for everyone to see. That's what I was kind of expecting. And then it's like, oh, well, if she's cheating. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I've heard that before. And also, but if they're both cheating, then what does it matter? Chris, shut up. I know. His proof is. You had proof that you could present? Yes, we had proof. What was Um, your proof? Absolute proof. Well, number one is there were 9,355 phone calls. Mm -hmm. Also that um, various emails back and forth between her and her paramour. 9,355 phone calls. He counted that. And various emails between her and her paramour. Exactly. Can we calm down? So all of this was going to be settled in the divorce proceedings on April 8th. That's a Monday. Right. We're back in the interrogation room with Aaron. Keith has this, like, outro into the ads where yeah. he's like, If what Aaron Wilkinson was telling investigators was true, one of the Lathams wasn't supposed to live that long. One of the Lathams wasn't supposed to live that long. We actually don't know who the bounty is out on. We know it's a Latham, but we don't know which one. And we know that both Lathams hate each other and their divorce is an all-out war and Nancy's got some spunk to her and Chris is a nightmare. Like, who's it going to be? We don't know what's going to happen. So we're back with Aaron. He's talking to the cops. He's going through withdrawal. It's really horrifying. And so he's telling the cops about this murder that hasn't happened yet. And we hear the name Sam Yenawine. So Aaron and Sam met in prison and I guess Sam is there for having killed a guy, but he's saying he did it in self-defense. Right, like Aaron's there for forgery. Yeah. Right. Sam's in there for killing a guy in self-defense and also setting his own house on fire. Yeah, it sounds crazy now. Sounds a little less crazy when we get there. Right. But also it's crazy that they're together. Right. Like forgery isn't violent. Right. Sam's super violent. Right. And also if someone is struggling 
with substance abuse, maybe we can just get them help instead right. of putting them in with the guy who burned his house down. I, I 100% agree. Call me crazy. However, you're going to find out when we find out why Sam burned his house down. I'm not completely not on Sam's side. I'm 100% on his side <laughs> once we get there. Um, so they, how nice when they got out of prison, they stayed friends. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> everyone needs friends, Jillian. I agree. You know I want everyone to have at least one really good friend. So they reconnect in Louisville. You guys, Aaron is like a really sweet guy. Like he's very like soft-spoken. I like Aaron a lot. I really like Aaron. But he kind of like just is that guy who you feel like has just fallen in with the wrong crowd his whole life. Yeah. So, so he becomes like Sam's little like drug-selling buddy. Right. So Sam asks Aaron to come with him to pick up some drugs in Nashville. They get two miles down the highway, and Sam's like, JK, JK, we're going to kill somebody. And Aaron's like, wait, what? Like trapped in this car, and they're just like gunning it to South Carolina. And Aaron's like, I'm just not violent. I don't want to ever be the cause of somebody being hurt. But firm resolve was never Aaron's strong suit. And he asked me if I would just ride with him, that he would give me uh, $2,500 if I would just ride along. He's like, if you just join me on the car ride, I'll give you 2500 bucks." And he ends up giving him $4,000 in yeah. cash. It's all a little confusing because they get to a roadside motel in South Carolina and like somehow Sam just has $5,000 and he gives 4000 of it to Aaron and Aaron immediately goes to deposit in, in his bank account and I went, responsible. See? Job, this is Aaron. why he doesn't want to do the murder for hire thing. He's turning his life around. <laughs> so they head to the beach for what Keith describes as a secret rendezvous with a good-looking blonde. So I thought they went there for sex with her, but that's not what they—that's not what happened. No, because Sam's like, we're doing this murder for hire thing. Right. So then they <laughs> this meet. This blonde lady's gonna give us all the info. And that's what happens. So yeah. she gives them an envelope with their instructions for the hit: maps, photos, information, and a deadline. And the woman gave them a deadline. Said Aaron, the murder had to happen by the following Monday, April eighth. Did you or did you not just tell me that date? <laughs> yes. Remind the listeners at home. Monday, April 8th is the day of the divorce proceeding. So whichever, <laughs> right, whichever Latham is going to be killed, it's got to be killed before then. Right. So Aaron's terrified. I don't know right. anything other yeah. than I don't want to be involved at all. And he also, the other thing that he knows is that he knows too much. He knows too much. And he's like, now he's worried for his wife and his dog, yeah. Brandy and Rocky. And he doesn't know what Rusty. to do. I have Rocky. It's Rusty the dog. I, I'm not, I have no take backs on this. It's Rusty the dog. Good. I want Rusty. <laughs> Hey, sweet boy. How dare um, you? How dare I know. I, it's a typo. It's a mistake. Rusty, I love you. I hope you're having a cheeseburger right now. <laughs> so then they're back at the motel, and Sam's girlfriend calls, and they get into a huge fight about Sam cheating on her, and then Sam loses it, threatens to break her jaw. What a yeah. fucking stand-up guy. Right. And then Sam is so mad so at his so girlfriend crazy. being mad at him for cheating yeah. that he leaves the motel to, quote, have it out with her, which he, means that he's going to go beat her up because she's mad that he cheated. Fuck this guy. That is fucking the worst, except for the fact that now all of a sudden Aaron thinks maybe he got out of the murder. Because Sam, who's supposed to make him do the murder, is now driving back to wherever the fuck, they, Louisville, Kentucky. And Aaron's like, girl, I'm coming with you. And now Aaron thinks the murder's not going to happen. And so Aaron's like, maybe he'll just forget. Yeah, right. Like, maybe this will all just go away. Yeah. No, a couple no. hours later, knock, yeah. knock, knock, <laughs> Sam's home. He's like, okay, let's go. Aaron makes a really bad choice in this moment. I know. It's a really bad choice. It's a desperate choice. Yes, like, I yeah. understand what he's scared for his dog and his wife and himself and yeah, oh my god yeah. so in order to stop this murder from happening Aaron says the only thing I could think of was just tell him that I would do it instead um, that I would go in his place Sam you know what remember how I hated every second of this and I wanted to go right. home <laughs> totally take it back 
how about I'm actually all in. I'm actually how about you know what? Kick your feet up. Totally. You stay home. Let me do it. I'll go in your place yeah. and I'll go commit the murder for you. But meanwhile, Aaron's whole plan is that he's just not gonna commit the murder and I guess just run away. Yeah. And then Sam will just be like, well, well, right. Sam will just not do it too. Right. That's the hope. It's very, it's very, it's not great thinking. But Sam goes for it. Sam's like, oh, girl, that's a great idea. It's great. It's a great idea. So Aaron, Bethany, Rusty pile into the car. They drive to Charleston. The ideas are going to wait for the Monday deadline to pass. And that's where we like started the episode with them just like kind of had nothing else to do but drive around Charleston looking for heroin. And right. that's when they get pulled over by the cop. Right. And so now here we are. They're now like in a ticking clock to save the, who, this person's life. Right. Who's going to be killed. Because Aaron's whole thing is like, if I don't do it, they're going to find somebody else to fucking do it. You have to believe me. These people's lives are in there's danger. There's a plan. There's a, right. there's a whole packet. It's a whole thing. And, and the cops are like, oh, that's that's interesting. And help us help you. I know. Rusty is in this crate hating yeah. it. Right. <laughs> the cops are like, Aaron, this is a really great story. But the fact is you crossed state lines to commit murder and you told us so with a suspended license. Exactly. And you were trying to buy heroin. Like, Aaron, things are not great for you. And Aaron's like, I know. I know. But like, someone's going to die. I know. And the cops are like, you know what? This is a little above our pay grade. Let's call the ATF. And to which Keith says, <laughs> maybe the ATF could figure out what was malarkey and what was the deadly truth? What was malarkey and what was the <laughs> deadly truth? Enter Agent Joe Boykin, who's oh like, God. Keith, now that we're here face to face, I got to tell you, never in my life. In 26 years of, in law enforcement, it's the first one I've ever gotten like that. About a murder for hire. About a murder for hire that was in play. In 26 years of my career, I've never heard of this. And finally, Agent Joe is the first person to be like, Aaron is on the up and up. Like, he totally yes. believes Aaron for the because first time. Aaron is begging them. They're like, I have a murder packet in my hotel room. If you'll just go there, you'll see it. You guys, five, six, seven, eight, we're in the exact fucking room with Keith and the detectives. And Keith is like, so this is the room. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> this is the room where little, it happened. Little, <laughs> little musty. Bum, 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 bum. So they have the packet now with Keith. Yeah. It's a 11 pages, and we know who the target is. Right. So it turns out the target is Nancy. Chris's soon-to-be ex-wife. They're supposed to get divorced officially on the 8th. Right. Which is when the murder for hire deadline also is, which makes zero sense to me. <laughs> right. Just divorce her. I know. But, uh, right. And have a party if right. you two are so happy. And I think you should. If you divorce someone and you feel great about it, fucking yeah. party great. your ass off. Absolutely. But like in this murder for hire packet, it gives all of the details about Nancy. It included you know, her age, uh -huh. her car, her license plates. And also, you know, how she came and went from her neighborhood and what grocery store she even shopped at. And they keep saying hit packet. And finally, Keith says what I've been saying this whole time. He's like, I mean, I've never heard of a hit packet before. Is it? It's been bandied about as if that's a phrase people know or something. You say hit packet like it's a term we should all know. Right. Is it, has this happened before? <laughs> and they're know. like, Keith, never in our lives. We've never seen a hit packet like this. One of the things we get to eventually that's in the hit packet is like, here's a picture of her daughter, Madison, who is the only, like the older one is out of the house. She goes to college. Madison is with her a lot of the time. So you might see like, you need to know what she looks like and just kill her if you have to. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. yeah. And Whatever it takes to kill Nancy. Unbelievable. Yeah. And like traumatize the daughter or kill her. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And the photo is like a family photo with them at like Benihana or yeah. some horribly yes. cheesy place. And like Chris is ripped out of it. So it was yes. like a beautiful family photo. Yes. And they just ripped it. Like that was so chilling to me too. So fucking chilling. Also Benihana, go to like a real sushi place. I know.
And so Aaron is freaking out because he's like, Sam is expecting my call. If I don't call him, he's going to find a way to kill Nancy before Monday. And then he's going to come gunning for me and my wife and my dog. Right. So the cops are like, all right, girl, here's what we're going to do. You're going to make the call. We're going to do it in a police conference room. And we're going to hear the whole thing. And you're going to get him to say on tape that he's like hiring you to do this murder. And Aaron's like, not so fast. I don't actually feel really good about that plan. And guess what? Aaron is a nervous wreck, but this call sounds fake. It's exactly what the cops want. Aaron lied that he'd been watching. Nancy had seen her in her car but had no shot because somebody was with her. One of her daughter's friends seemed like she was rarely alone, he said. So should he kill whoever was with her? Go ahead, said Sammy. Can I couple with him in the car? You know, I don't give a fuck. The more the merrier. Kill everybody. Kill the daughter. Kill this. Kill that. The cops are like, is this guy for real? And I'm like, yeah, you should have believed Aaron in the first five minutes. I know. The feds are like, this is fucking gold. You can't write it. It's perfect. It's It's everything they need. It's crazy. So now they know this is real and they've got to find Nancy. (laughs) So Keith says. Oh my God. This, the thing, what Keith says next is it's insane. It's outrageous. He goes. On the morning of what was to have been the last Friday of her life. Nancy Latham was sitting in her bathtub. She's kicking off the weekend early. She's getting divorced on Monday. She's having a little spa morning for herself. Knock at the door. Madison, her daughter, answers the door. It's the cops. Yeah. And she goes, Mom, the cops are here. They said not to panic. And Nancy's like, you know what, Maddie? Doesn't matter how rich and white I am, I'm panicking. Okay? When the cops come knocking at 10 in the morning on a Friday. But then Nancy describes herself getting out of the bath. And I could see it. I could see it. She's like, I jumped out of the tub and I put on my big heavy marshmallow robe and threw a towel on my head and kind of peeked out the door. Put on my big heavy marshmallow robe. (laughs) Towel around my head and down I went. Nancy. The cops are like, Nance, there's a hit out on you and you're going to get murdered. Tell somebody, you just say it, I guess. You just say it. How would you tell me? Oh, we have to leave. Someone's trying to kill you. (laughs) Actually, this is probably a safe place to be. (laughs) That's my reaction. Oh, I would, I would uh, not mince words at all. Okay. That's not the time to be gentle. I feel like you would shove like a a bottle of shard with a straw into one hand. You know what I would just say? I'd just say, come with me. Where are we going? The bar. Bye. (laughs) Wait, we just passed one. Not that one. Another one. Nope, not that one either. No, not that one either. I'll tell you when. When we're in a safe place. And then you would just get so sick of me wanting to go into every bar. You would fucking shoot him. Just shoot him. And give me a drink while you're at it. God. So Nancy is like, no, that's not true. That's not true, officer. And they're like, nah. And I'm like, do you think they're just fucking with you? I know. The cops have nothing better to do on a Friday morning than come to your house and mess with you, Nancy. And they're like, no, ma'am, it's very serious. You need to pack your bag, get your daughter, and get the hell out of the house at this minute. Yeah. And Madison's like, I was told to go to my room, and I could eavesdrop some, but I couldn't hear everything. I could hear my mom crying. I was eavesdropping. She was hysterical crying. <laughs> Keith. But then Keith says the cops told her to tell no one, so of course she told someone. She told everybody. She, t- she calls her BFF Kathy. And she literally is like, Kathy, I need you to come get Madison. So then Kathy goes. I got my gun, and I went and got in the car and drove her over to the Mount Pleasant Police Department, and um, Nancy and Maddie and one of their officers met me in the parking lot. Keith's like, so what'd you do? She was like, Keith, what do you think I did? I grabbed my gun and I got in the car. 
Keith. No one is safe anywhere. And then we hear this horrible story. So Emily, the other daughter, is away at college. Yeah. And they're like, pack a suitcase. Art school. Yeah. She's drawing for Jesus. She's pro- she's probably like one of those people who's really good at art. God. So amazing. I know. Um, but so they're like, yeah, pack a suitcase, go home. And she tells us the only time we ever get like FaceTime with her is that she's like, I ended up having to leave school for the rest of the year because I was a danger to everyone else. So they made me leave. I know. This and school sucks. No, I think that's the right choice. I don't want to be the one standing next to Emily unknowingly in the fucking mess hall. They just kick her out of school? Is it, hasn't she been through enough? And Nancy was the target. The other thing, too, is that, like, so now Nancy and her daughter Madison are whole up at Kathy's house, and everyone is fucking terrified. And I'm like, is there no fucking Four Seasons in Charleston? Why are you going to your friend's house? I know. Go to a fucking hotel with your security and elevators. But it's probably easier to see who's coming if it's like you're just all in Kathy's driveway. I guess. If all the, co- like, ATF is in Kathy's <laughs> driveway, there's no, like, back entrance. <laughs> I guess that's true. There's no, like, service elevator at Kathy's house. Unless there is. They're rich as fuck, these people. I have no idea. What, What does the help use a different Kathy's elevator? listening. She spits her tea out as you say there's no back Mint service julep. elevator. Mint julep. Mint julep. Tea. So Nancy's like, hello, I know who did this, you dummies. Right. My fucking husband who hates me. Yeah. Didn't even pick me up from chemo. Who do you think did this? Because they show her the fucking murder kit or whatever it's called, and she sees handwriting on it. She's like, that's my husband's handwriting. Right. So now we're back with yeah. the cops and Aaron. And and the cops ask Aaron about Chris Latham. When the agents asked Aaron if Chris Latham had a hand in hiring him to kill Nancy, Aaron said he'd never heard of the guy. Aaron's like, I've never heard that name before. And he's super not the one that gave us this murder packet. It came from a hot blonde lady. Right. So who the hell is the hot blonde and why does she want Nancy dead? Right. So here's what we know about this hot blonde lady. She had paid for everything, including burner phones and the motel room. She's the one that gave Sam that $5,000. She also gave him a bottle of pills because... The pills were painkillers and Valium, said Aaron. The plan? To scatter the drugs around the murder scene. Confuse the cops. Acts like it was like a drug deal gone gone wrong or something. That's not going to confuse anybody. No, they're going to be like, can someone clean these pills up? Right. Someone staged a Valium <laughs> thing. Can you get the Valium out of here, please? <laughs> someone staged a Valium thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not fully over being sick. My brain's not. I love it. So anyway, the feds are looking for this mystery woman, and they're also like confirming Aaron's story with actual receipts and surveillance footage. Yeah, they're like, going everywhere they, that he said he was. So like the grocery store, the bank, the motel. We see them buying gloves at Walmart. I know these idiots, these fucking idiots. And everything, if, in case like it's not clear, everything Aaron told them is true, and yes. there's security footage and actual receipts to prove it. Yes. Like, come on. But it turns out that this woman, this mystery woman, yeah. is Sam's ex-wife. Her name is Wendy Moore. So when you first hear that, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. How did Sam's ex-wife get involved with killing Nancy Latham? Yeah, like how is how, how are these the connected connection? at all? Yeah. So they find Wendy at her beach house and right. <laughs> they're like, Wendy, can we have a, a word, please? And she's like, sure, what's going on, fellas? Yeah. They, just to be clear, this is the blonde lady we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Sam's ex-wife. And so they're like, hey, Wendy, she thinks they just want to like chat. She is not freaked out by the cops. Right. <laughs> until they're like, we need to talk to you about that murder for hire thing you're involved in. Right. But once we let the cat out of the bag and told her that we knew about the murder for hire plot and that we had Sammy and Aaron. She became white as a sheet and told us she needed a lawyer and spun around on her heels and went back in the house. Wendy gets a lawyer and then turns herself in with like this well-known Charleston lawyer and just like shows up. And while they're doing the paperwork, Wendy turns to one of the cops and says, look. She leaned over to me and she said, I know you guys probably don't like me very much, but I could sure use a hug. But I sure could use a hug. (laughs) 
I'm sorry, what? I know. Wendy? Not a fan. And Keith hates her. Well, guess what, you guys? She's fucking here. She's here for the interview. Uh-huh. So we get to sit down with Wendy, right? And uh-huh. Keith is interviewing her. Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. Her full name is Wendy Moore. She's Sam's ex-wife, and they've got two kids together. Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. So yeah. the first thing she says, trying to charm Keith. Keith is not buying it at all. Yeah. She's like, I always joke and say a lot of kids had imaginary friends, and I had Jesus. You know, like, they'd play with their imaginary friends, and I would talk to Jesus. Keith, you know how kids have imaginary friends? I had Jesus. <laughs> then how'd you end up on Dateline, right. Wendy? God. She had a horrifying childhood. She was yes. sexually abused from ages 11 to 17. And she Just eventually, like, runs away from home because she knew that, like, it was either leave or be raped every day. Ugh. And, you know, we learned that she always did really well in school, and then she got pregnant. But she, like, also was, like, taking care of herself. She was had a full-time job when she was a senior in high school. So she gets her own apartment. She gets her own car. She meets her new neighbor, Sam Yenawine. So she's already got a kid yeah. when she meets Sam. They, like, instantly fall in love. They have two more kids. And she's, like, horrified that he's supporting the family by selling drugs. Were you? I know. <laughs> I don't, Wendy, I'm, that doesn't track for me at all. But then Sam is like, well, girl, you could get a job. You could be a stripper. And she goes, Sam, that's a sin. And he said, so is pride. I don't think any of this happened. Right, but she, then she's also like, and that convinced me. And, said that. and I'm like, ooh, lots to unpack here. Whether I it's know. true or false, there's a lot to unpack here. It's not like she went down to the local club right. and signed up to be a dancer. In no, a no, no, way, no, 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 no. I like this. Well, except for the fact that there are children living in the house, she like starts her own business. It's called Brooke Wendy Entertainment. And basically, they hire bouncers and they turn the basement of their home into like a high end exotic dancing club. There was me and a couple other girls. And, um, we just had high-end clientele that would pay to come in for uh, this private strip show. So just to be clear, they've got like the high-end strip club in the basement and their living quarters like on the second and third floor. And then one night she wakes up and the house is on fucking fire and she's got to scramble with her children onto the roof to survive. And so remember from the beginning, Sam is in prison for killing a guy in self-defense and setting fire to his own house. Yeah. This is what happened. And this is where we're kind of on Sam's side. I'm 100% on Sam's yeah. side here. Sam saw the bouncer sneaking out of the children's bedroom, said Wendy. So Sam stabbed the guy, killed him, then set him on fire. And Sam's like, fuck that, stabs him to death, yeah. sets the house on fire, and yeah. out they go. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't like Sam. I know. <laughs> I kind of get it. The thing about it is like, Sam, you put your whole fucking family at risk in the first place when right. you decided to do this shit in your fucking I agree. house. You I know mean, what I, I mean? I don't, like, a bouncer, what is he from? Like, you know, because you can get bouncers from like an actual accredited yeah, company. Sure, yeah. This is some guy. Right. And like, I'm not sad that this fucking piece of shit guy is dead, but Sam, like, you did this to yourself. It's fucking terrible. 1,000%. And those poor children, I am a foster parent, get those kids out of that house. Yeah. Why are they there? Stop it. Stop it. So Sam and Wendy get divorced yeah. and Wendy works from home and she attends Jerry Falwell's Liberty University online. The garbage bill is mysteriously missing, but I, I would be pounding that if I could. Let me just say, to quote myself from West of Memphis, fucking ding. Right. <laughs> Her, she gets a master's in management and leadership. Let yeah. me tell you, quick pause. This website is wild. Oh, really? Did I you look? To, yes. it's a, you guys, it's an online school. Is it accredited? I think so. Because you you can get masters in management and leadership, but you yeah. can also get a degree in something called apologetics. What? Have you heard of that? No. 
So I went to it. This is so fucking wild. Oh my god! It basically is like a debate course where you learn how to debate skeptics or <gasps> people who don't believe in evangelical Christianity. No way! And it's like go go out into the world armed to answer every question. <gasps> it's like basically how to fight with people about your fucking religion. Garbage! It's called apologetic. I was like, what? Fifteen minutes. <laughs> I told Mike all about it. He was like, I'm gonna go. He was like, so is that part of the story? I was like, no. no. It's just a twenty minute detour. <laughs> Apologetics. Anyway, regardless. She takes her degrees and she moves to Charleston and she gets a good job making 60 grand a year as an executive assistant to a banker, Ooh. the banker, Ooh. Chris Latham. Right. So not only does she work like at Bank of America, yeah. she's also his quote personal assistant and she helped him with his divorce. Yeah, we are not very clear on what any of this means, but she said first they were just friends, but not even like good friends. But then like Chris was soon the love of her life. I really got to know him as a person and how sweet he was and how, I mean, kind. And and Chris has a, um, a good faith in God, too, and that means a lot to me. And yeah, one day I looked over at him and I'm like, I'm so happy. He's just such a God-loving fella. And I'm like, is he, though? <laughs> but Wendy, is he? And so Keith finally is like, enough is enough. Cut the shit, Wendy. <laughs> did you rent Sam a motel room and buy him a burner phone and wire him 10 grand, yes or no? Why did you rent him a hotel room? send him that money, that wire him the money, quite a bit of money. We were supposed to be getting a car together for our daughter, and um, he sent me an email and said, when, um, I'm here, lost my wallet, lost my phone, need help. Like, she's saying, no, 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 it's all a misunderstanding. He's my ex-husband, and he surprised me by showing up in Charleston, and he said he lost his phone and he lost his wallet, so I just got him a place to stay and gave him some cash because he's family. Oh, and also, I did give him $10,000, but that was money towards a car that we were both getting for our kid. Right, and he she throws that at Keith's face a lot. Like, it was for a car for our daughter, so don't ask any more questions. $10,000 is one-sixth of what she makes a year? Right. You're not putting that towards a fucking car for your kid. Like, that's such an obvious Lie. And he's like this guy who's kind of sketchy surprised you and you're just like, well, sure, take my money. Uh, here's 10 grand. Wendy, your story's full of holes. The other thing is the woman that gave Aaron the hit pack, as they call it, like the package with all of the info on Nancy and where she would be. Aaron's like, yeah, it was definitely that woman. Keith asked her about it. She won't talk about it. So I'm puzzled. And if you can enlighten us in any way, it would be helpful. Yeah, I'm not willing to talk about that. No elaborate story about that. Subject closed. Wendy, I'm puzzled. Right. <laughs> Enlighten me. Tell me about the hit packet. And she's like, I'm not <clears throat> I'm not gonna discuss that, Keith. She doesn't deny it, but she also doesn't talk about it. And so, like, Wendy goes, Keith, my life was perfect. Why would I muck it up? And like, that's a good point. I was just gonna say, like, she definitely did this, but like everyone is asking the questions, like, why would she do it though? The divorce was gonna be over and behind them. She was gonna get the money, she was gonna get to live with him, raise her kids in this beautiful six-bedroom beach house. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Right. It doesn't make any sense at all. Like, so, she definitely did it, but why? So she's arrested, right? Right. Cut to Nancy, who's like, one down, one more to go. <laughs> Woohoo! She's thrilled. I thought, yay, now one more to go, because I think they arrested so you Wendy. you never really thought of her as the prime mover here? No. No, I did not. And Nancy's like, Wendy's too dumb to be, like, the mastermind behind <laughs> right. this. She also just wants Chris to go down. She doesn't care. Nancy hates her ex-husband so hates him. much. And, like, can you blame her? No, no. The fact that he demanded dinner. I mean, I also oh, God, believe it, but, like, come on. So Wendy's now in the county jails, and she's reading Bible stories about wrongful convictions. She's comparing herself to Joseph. I was like, are we really going to be subjected to fucking Wendy teaching us about the fucking Bible. I can only think um, 
of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph didn't do it either, but he spent some time in jail, and it ended up being to the benefit of his family later. So. So you hang on to that. I hang on to that. No, thank you, Dave. No, next. Yeah. So the prosecutors are poring over phone records and documents, and they're like, um, it's like super obvious. There was a murder for hire plot happening. Every single thing that was in that murder packet was printed from either Chris's computer on Chris's printer in the office or Wendy's. Like, the people who put this packet together were Chris and Wendy, and they're like, it definitely wasn't us, though. No, and she's also on video, hand, like, <laughs> buying the burner phones, and she's using a fucking fake name. Remember how she wired the money for her daughter's car, Keith, don't say anything because it's my kid? She made a bunch of payments using a fake name, like a bunch of little payments. Totally. Write a fucking check. And pay the guy to go away or whatever. A little $500 wired in different fake names. Give but me a break. Every time it cuts back to the cops trying to let, they're like, why are we even talking about whether she did it or not? Like, she and him both definitely fucking did this. And so Keith's like, everyone shut up and hold tight, okay? Because they're going to get everything they need because we get the jailhouse phone calls because these two fucking idiots, I guess this wasn't in the goddamn Bible. Every phone call to and from, they're all recorded, you fucking idiots. What, did Joseph not have to deal with the phone calls? So they're all like, I can't wait to ravish you when I get home. <laughs> I can't wait either. I can't wait to ravish you when I get home. I dream of you every time I close my eyes. Oh, God. So that's like barfy and disgusting. Totally. But then Chris is like trying to be super tough. And he's like, there's all a plan. I'm going to do everything. Because Chris is walking among us right now. Right. Yes. So Wendy's the one in jail. Wendy's in jail, but they know Chris is in on it, too. They got to get him. Right. So they finally subpoena his like phone records from Apple or whatever. So they can actually go through all the metadata that was on his phone because like right now it can be made to look like everything came from Wendy and maybe he didn't know about it right. but they find a photo that was in the hit pack of Nancy's car and her house that was taken on Chris's phone right cut to Nancy and Keith who's like wait a second I think my husband's behind this he walks among us like yeah. can you do something because she's like this is not working for me and Keith's like it was not working for her at all <laughs> so Keith says to the prosecutor he's like whoa wait so you was she like under protection or anything like you were confident that he wasn't going to kill her like after all this and the prosecutor goes I mean I wasn't certain I mean it kept me up at night but I felt that you know he was one of the most watched men in South Carolina at that point I would say I was confident did it keep me up at night yes was I willing to take the risk because Chris is now the most watched man in Charleston right, yeah, yeah, yeah. did it keep me up at night sure but I was like you know I didn't think maybe he would actually go through with it now with more of these phone calls Chris is comforting her and everyone's saying that it kind of sounds like he's trying to keep her close so she uh -huh, won't flip uh -huh. and at one point he promises to marry her when this is all over right. and Wendy is like oh I would absolutely love that really 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 love it you and me together yes just me, you, you and Jesus. Jesus. And I'm like, a, a thruple with the Lord. I cannot. I can't and I won't. I can't and I won't. Uh, so with all the evidence, they finally are able to, like, arrest Chris. And on August 6, 2013, they track him down to a vacation home in the fucking mountains. They arrest him, and he's booked on Nancy's birthday. He was actually booked in the Charleston County Detention Center on my birthday. Best birthday present ever. Happy birthday to me. Best gift ever, Nance. So now 
Chris sits down with Keith. But we learned, we've been seeing this interview with Keith the whole time, and he's wearing a suit. I was like, why is nobody in prison? So is Wendy. I know. They are in prison, and mm-hmm. they're letting them wear their suits or whatever. But, like, Chris and Wendy are both in prison. Right. And even Keith is like, ooh, those bankers' clothes don't quite fit anymore, do they? <laughs> Keith hates everyone. So, Keith's like, Chris, thank you for joining the Hit Packet. We're just going to dive right in. Uh, tell me about the maps and the photos. And Chris is, like, hemming and hawing. He's like, everyone had access to my photographs. Yeah. He's, like, very not so subtly starting to throw Wendy right under yes. that bus that's coming a thousand yeah. miles an hour. Because Keith is like, Chris, well, how did it all get into the hit packet? And right. Chris goes, well, hold on. <gasps> yeah. Well, hold I, on. Sure, that was in my possession. But also, so how to get to them? Well, hold on. You've got two law firms that have access to that information. There's a lot of people that had access to that information. It wasn't proprietary just for me. And Chris is like, I have no idea how anything got into anything. Yeah. Okay. And he's like, there could have been a lot of people involved here. So Keith goes, okay, okay. Chris, I'm going to I'm going to say what you just said back to me and then you tell me how laughable it is. So you're just saying that it magically all this information magically went from your computer and your camera to the lawyers and the PI and the person with the substance abuse and the hitman. And then they all went to the police. But you had nothing to do with it. Like it fell into everyone else's hands. But it started with you on your computer and your phone and your girlfriend's computer. Both of those computers are missing, by the way. The printers. And and, and Wendy's like, that happens all the time. And the cops are like, well, let's just say also in our investigation, we didn't undercover a rash of printer theft. <laughs> Just a couple of missing ones. Just two particular ones. No, we didn't uncover some, like, computer printer theft ring. It was just no. their two computers and printers that were gone. And then they're like, Wendy is denying being the lady that was involved in all of this. They're like, you know who would know? Sam would know. Sam, her ex-husband. Let's just go talk to Sam and we'll get the information from him. Nope. No. Sam hanged himself in prison. Right. And at one point, like, Chris is like, Wendy wouldn't do this. Like, she has no incentive whatsoever to harm Nancy. What's in it for her, Keith? And Keith is like, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, What's in it for her? I mean, she can have you without you having to pay alimony, without you having to pay house payments, without you having all those financial obligations, and without you having that woman around who's been driving you crazy for years. You'd be rid of that woman who's been driving you crazy for years. And Chris is, like, not breaking at all. And Keith is trying to get him to say, God, I fucking hate Nancy. So we get to the trial. Like, basically. Chris and Wendy are on trial. They don't testify. And like the trial goes pretty quickly and the jury goes out and everyone's like, they're going to be found guilty, right? The jury comes back because they have a question and it's some procedural question, but everyone in the courtroom is like, oh, all of a sudden the smirks are back on Chris's face and Wendy's face and everyone thinks they're going to get away with it. And and Nancy goes, if he was not found guilty of something, I was going to be in a world of hurt. I was going to be in a world of hurt, Keith. Yeah. She needs Chris to go down in yes, flames. Totally. God love her. So then, it, you know, it comes back. Wendy is found guilty on all counts. Chris is found guilty just on one count. But that count is participating in a murder for hire. I said, that should be enough, right? That should be enough to send you away for a decent amount of time, right. I would think. So Wendy gets 15 and Chris gets 10, yeah. right? And so Keith is, Keith is sitting with Wendy. They're both in prison, Wendy and Chris. And Keith goes, you still soulmates? Still I've never met anyone better than him. And I never will again. He is a good person. And I love him. Chris? I know. Chris wants to play the field. Can you hold a candle that long? I'm not going to comment on the future. He's like, I went from a (laughs) shitty marriage to prison. I'm not going to comment on the future. (laughs) And Keith is like, Chris, you fucking piece of shit. But who ends up smelling like a rose is Nancy. She's doing just fine. Her awesome daughters changed their names. They don't want to be associated with him. Well, Madison, the one whose picture was in the hit package, she was like, I don't want him to be known as my father anymore. 
I think he lost that privilege when he put my picture in the hit packet. How fucking badass is that? It's very badass. Can that be the last time anyone says hit packet? I know. Oh my God. Like we're supposed to know what it is. Thank I you, know. Keith, for saying it. It sounds like a sex thing. Well, it is now. <laughs> So Nancy's doing just fine. She's killing it. Except she has a really shitty friend who keeps trying to force her to forgive Chris. It's I hate so this woman. insane. And she's like, well, if you don't want to forgive him, you should want to want just to forgive him. Just be supportive, I dummy. Know. She had breast cancer. She had chemo. Her husband and his dumb idiot girlfriend tried to kill her. Can I, you just ask her if she needs a refill for fuck's sake? Stop forcing people to forgive enough. Can you give her a minute? Stay angry. God. Wait, tell them what we learned about Nancy, though. She is now a stand-up comic. And we see a very, very small part of yes. it. Like, it's nothing about how there was a hit on her. I'm sure her whole act is it that. must be. But she's like, well, divorce, like probably most of you, didn't go the way I'd hoped it would go. Well, divorce didn't go the way I hoped it would. Anyone else? And then they fade out. And I'm like, I want to hear. And I, I Googled it. I YouTubed it. It's nowhere to be found. Oh, my God, Nancy. Oh, my God. And so it ends with Keith being like, because of the conscience of an addict on America Street, we did not have to tell you the mystery of the murder of the banker's wife. The murder yes. of the banker's wife, Keith. I know. <laughs> uh. Oh my God, you guys, we did. What's the Charleston crush? The Charleston affair. Okay, the Charleston affair. What are you offering? Ooh. <laughs> Nance, the zingers. <laughs> you guys, if you want more GP and me, find us on the Patreon. There's over 300. I love saying that number. It's a great number. Over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes. Somebody said if you were to start playing, like, starting with episode one of the bonus episodes and didn't stop, you'd have, like, two and a half straight months of content. Because it's not just, like, on the page, it's not just the series. It's after parties. Yes. It's ad-free versions of these episodes. We've got interviews with, like, cool people on yeah, there. Yeah, so there's, like, a lot of stuff. Just make sure your phone is storage. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Live know. your life. And Don't you forgive a- if you don't want to, but just make sure your phone is storage. You Get it all right away, you guys. The second you sign up, you have access to all of it. Um, follow us on Instagram, you guys. True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Yeah. I'm at Patrick Hines underscore. Ooh, I'm at Jillian with a G. It's spelled you out like spelled that. that. You spelled that shit out. Yeah, W-I-T-H-A-G. <laughs> right? Yes. We love you guys. We love you. Thanks. Oh, next week we're doing The Thing About Pam. Hello, our, our big finale. That's right. Our big finale, The Thing About Pam. Oh, <laughs> monster. Bye. You just did the elbow booby shake thing. I did a little shimmy. (laughs) The elbow booby shake thing. It's all in the shoulders, number one, and it's called shimmy. Okay? She doesn't describe the slippers, but you know she's got those pink bunny fucking slippers. The fuzzy slippers. Totally. (laughs) Like, Nancy's hit was supposed to be on the same day. Her divorce proceedings, quote, were supposed to reach a climax. I know. Don't say the word climax to me. I know. How dare you? you? It's like the Bob Ross thing. All the old ladies love it. (laughs)